You're listening to the iRacers Lounge podcast, where we discuss everything iRacing in a casual setting. Enjoy. Welcome to the iRacers Lounge. I am your host, Mike Ellis. iRacers Lounge is a podcast for the iRacer, where we talk all things iRacing in a casual setting. Joining me are the usual characters, David Hall. We just got a quick show for you today. <laughs> Greg Hectus. What's up, everybody? Hey, Brian McCubbin. And with that, we'll see you on the track. That was quick. Brad Real short show. <laughs> okay, bye. How's everybody doing tonight? Hey, and John Curley. Hey, hello, iRacers. On the show today, we will be talking iRacing and IndyCar, officially this time. We give sad farewell to the iRacing membership site, and in the hardware section, talk about what's happening to one of our largest sim racing product companies. That's right, Mike. And remember, you can follow along with us on your mobile device or PC in real time as you listen to the show and see for yourself all these great topics we'll be talking about by going to iRacersLounge.com and selecting the show notes. So log on, and we'll see you there. off with a question and the question is are esports failing and it's a video from dj ej who's one of our biggest i guess uh, contributors these days he asks if esports are failing in the realm of sim racing's three different genres uh so tell us a little bit more mike well he goes and kind of dissects it um first he breaks it down into which sim is what type of genre and you know i racing ACTR factory kind of grouped together and called them sim racing simcade which you know is a, a word that is more game like forza gran turismo and then uh, the third genre official titles f1 and then wrc he talked about the challenges of trying to integrate uh, racing into esports in general what is the viewing percentage of the overall membership versus how many eyeballs are watching the eSport. Um, he pointed out that uh, iRacing actually does pretty good with the Coke series. If you compare how many eyeballs are watching it to how many iRacing members there are, it's not a bad percentage if you uh, compare it to, say, Gran Turismo, when they have like 10 million uh, users and what kind of following they got when they, you know, when, when they do their eSports kind of thing. Yeah, that's right. And um, um, Gran Turismo and iRacing had pretty similar uh, viewer um, ratings. But you're right, Mike. That's the the viewer base is so much bigger for that. So it it kind of goes to show you that iRacing um, fans at least have a lot more invested and are at a higher percentage in more than just being on the sim, but watching watching these events as well. I think it also ties into the general public's not watching this stuff. Uh, what's who's watching it are people that are invested in the product. Um, another point he made was that 
as these sims get closer and closer to looking like real life events, and he did mention iRacing, how 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 professionally their uh, their product is as far as um, these esports things. The more more and more you get closer to um, real life, the more people are like, well, I'll just watch real life then. <laughs> you know, it was kind of it's kind of like it's getting too too realistic. And maybe they don't need that second version of, of racing that, you know, when they can get the real thing. That was one of the points that he made. It's, it's an interesting thing to talk about. That's an interesting point that reminds me of something I heard in another show that was talking about uh, CGI characters in movies. And that if the CGI is too good that it looks so realistic, but just not enough, it gets into something called the uncounty valley. And, and, and so they actually find it more pleasurable for most audiences for the, the CGA characters to look cartoonish. If they look too perfectly realistic, it starts to actually make humans feel uncomfortable because it's, it's there, but not enough. Yeah, have you ever seen Polar Express? That's one of those ones where the animation, I think they try to get too real, realistic, and it almost looks creepy. Um, at the end, he recommends a, a particular game. I forget the name of it, uh, but it's a fantasy racing, like four-on-four, four, Mario Kart-style, uh, fantasy track-style. And any these little short races, um, he said are just better for esports in general because they they capture the attention. Yeah, that goes with what David Hall was saying is that it's so unrealistic that it's actually might be more enjoyable for people to watch because you know they're doing loops and and all kinds of crazy stuff in that racing. It's it doesn't mirror real life at all, you know. So it's 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 so different that it might be more attract more people to it. Track mania, yeah. That's it's more like. Uh... I kind of, I don't know if anybody's ever played back in the day, there was a game called Micro Machines where it's like, you know, you're on uh, playing, uh, it's like when you were a kid, you had used everything as a racetrack with your little dinky cars. Well, that's the, that game took in advantage of. It was like, you know, you're on the edge of a pool table driving your cars around the pockets and everything like that. Kind of Trackmania is just a fantasy version of that kind of where you're building crazy loops to loops and all that stuff where it's kind of cool. Um, to imagine stuff. And that's going to grab the attention of the younger generations that are used to having some, all those kind of games on their phone at their fingertips all the time as well. All right. Um, season two, this is a quick hit. They're taking input for the season two schedules. We have a link to a few of the forums, but there's probably quite a few more for the other seasons. Um, the deadline to put in your to, or to get in the discussion to get the proposals in is January 31st. And you can only go with schedules that are submitted by community based uh, schedule leaders, I believe, not individual requests. Yeah, you're right. There's a forum post for literally every series. Uh, we just have a sampling here. But uh, if you you want to get involved on the you know the schedule discussions, now is the time. All right, let's slide on into the next topic, Brian. Yeah, this is uh, in the forums uh, from Albert Pasukla, and uh, he said is um, that he thinks that the grass 
uh, is being modeled to be uh, a lot slippier than it used to be. So um, he calls it the, the icy, slippery uh, grass. So um, I guess he no he's noticed when he's getting into the grass that his traction is really, uh, really way off. Um, and in a way, you know, it should be. It should mimic real life. And and driving on the grass is—you don't have very good traction there, especially with raced flicks or whatever you're running with. So, yeah, so I'd he, love to see him. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'd love to see him drive out in a real grass field, and you know, or if he's ever been mudding or anything like that, and and know how much grip actually goes away. Well, this brings up an interesting discussion. What happens are they going to do with the grass model when they have rain? Is it going to be sloppy and mucky then when you get into the grass? Or is it still going to be the same thing and it feels like the same type of grass? I would think it probably needs to go back to the way it used to be. I mean, that's the way the, the grass was for years. Was It was like ice. But the last couple updates, I think it's gotten better. I mean, I've been doing quite a bit of road racing, and I definitely don't think we're back to where we were um, one or two builds ago. Well, we could be like um, the grass we used to have at Spa, where it was cooling down tires, right? That's an interesting point you bring up, too, Greg. I wonder if they can model when the splitter digs into the grass and destroys the car. Oh, great. I can just hear the complaints on that one. Jason Perry in the forums, is, uh, his indication is it's the new grass model at those particular tracks that doesn't feel right. Oh, the new grass is just a visual effect. I don't think it actually affects the grip level. Is this kind of like uh, us trying to determine if they've done an oval refresh or not as we're racing? It's like, I think I feel something, but I don't really know. Well, since you brought it up, Mike, just go ahead and take the next topic. Well, speaking of that, um, iRacing's trying to communicate about that oval refresh uh, by putting out a YouTube video. Um, uh, and it's called Oval Refresh Onboard Look. And uh, they just, it, you know, like it says, it's an onboard look of track, uh, you know, cars on the oval track going side by side, you know, using multiple grooves in the corner. Um, this is a take off of what we saw last week, what Mike Conti put together and put out uh, a very similar video. I think it's interesting because I kind of, obviously, do you, was the oval refresh was on certain tracks though it wasn't on everything right no nah, it was everything okay yeah, so not everything yeah i kind of felt there was a little bit of more groove i mean we were in a race last night at new hampshire it's not the greatest track to try and run on but i could see guys searching around for extra speed on different grooves um and not everyone was running the same thing i i feel like it's a little bit different but the problem with all this oval refresh stuff is you get a week break off of driving when there's not a, a, a comparison. Like it would be nice to run one race with one way and then go to the next race and see what the actual feeling of the difference is. Like we, we kind of don't get the full feel um, side by side comparison. Yeah. And add to that, most of us are not doing a lot of regular daily racing. We're just doing like the once a week league in a fixed setup. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm on break from a opens until, NIS starts back up. So I don't know how much I'm really getting out of that one race, except for that. Um, I see a little bit of the groove, but also just sometimes that I'll come around the corner and the car just doesn't behave the same. Even if I'm going in the same groove, I can notice that a, just a sudden change in the way it handles a little. And then I, and I have to rear back uh, 
and make sure I don't go over the limit. You know what I noticed in watching this video, though? Those cars are a handful to drive, too. Like, that's what makes it better racing, too. The guys are wheeling it to try and do those different grooves. Yeah, it looks like the back end's kind of hung out uh, as well. Which we've been running A open, or rather not A open, but we've been running, you know, the NASCAR cars on the, in the league, and you just don't get the same feel from the car. All right, this one, next one does sort of affect iRacing because they literally just signed a deal to, to bring in the SRX cars. Uh, but I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead of myself because I'm thinking this might be linked to it. But um, iRock is changing hands, John. Yeah, so a lot of people might remember going back a few years, the iRock series. And it was, um, you know, I watched this a lot, gosh, back in the 70s or the 80s and 90s. But this is where uh, iRock gets together drivers, you know, pro drivers from a lot of the different disciplines. And they run cars that are identical. Uh, so you'll have F1 drivers, NASCAR drivers, IndyCar drivers, so on and so on. Uh, in fact, I think they even had some sprint car drivers in this back in the day. Uh, but they do a series where they race against each other, uh, these different disciplines with these identical cars on a lot of different tracks. I used to like to watch this. I thought it was pretty cool to see these guys. Uh, they used to crash each other all the time, too. But... Looks like Ray Evernham and uh, uh, Rob Kaufman have bought this series. So something's, I guess it's coming back. Yeah, Ray Evernham used to be a key figure in the series. Uh, he prepared the cars, I believe, back in the day. And so now he's the owner of it. And as David alluded to, um, the other um, series owned by tony stewart called srx has literally just announced in the last hour or two that they are ceasing operations um they're no longer going to participate this year so it's almost like a, a two-part story as far as srx goes does iRacing need to hold off on getting involved with a series like srx until they're more well established I mean, I, I almost think it's silly that we've we've scanned those those cars. We've prepared to have SRX in iRacing in 2024, and, and and now they're gone. So, I mean, what kind of impact does it have on SRX and iRacing? Well, the question is, is we assumed when they signed that deal with SRX and doing all that stuff that it was a series that was going to fulfill its obligations and race this year and. You know, it's a whole, it's it's a progressing year by year. They've been keeping the series going. So if something changed, it's kind of hard on iRacing's end to, you know, they could just say they're not going to do it now. It's a waste of time and stuff but and resources. But, um, you know, how is iRacing's not supposed to know? And if they just made the choice right now, it's it's just something different. That's, uh, it's a, uh, a curveball that's been thrown to iRacing, and it's not really affecting them if they just don't do it they just wasted resources that's all do yeah. you think sorry brad do you think this will affect the interest in people buying this car on iRacing the fact that it's oh, yeah. only real life yeah so that means to iRacing that th there's less money in putting time into it now less return on investment yeah i mean i guess this would have been what the third year for srx if I'm right, um, I don't know. It's just kind of weird. I mean, up until I guess just a few weeks ago, they were they had just announced what the fourth or fifth of the the races, so had one left to announce, and then all of a sudden it's just done. So, uh, really odd. 
Was it this year or was it next year? They were trying to bring one of the events to Canada here too, weren't they? Uh, I think it maybe so. We went, I want to say 22. We went to South Boston and saw them, and it was great. I mean, we had a great time. I'm just surprised that they've shut it down. What's with the timing with, you know, Ray announcing the IROC series coming back? I mean, and then they immediately, you know, shutter SRX. Is there a tie there? I mean, because these are similar types of series competing for the same drivers, you know, X champions and so forth. Well, here's here's a whole bunch of cons- things that I've been looking at. Tony's taking a full-time role on driving drag racing now with him starting a family. Um, his wife's stepping away, and, and obviously they're going to start their family. Tony's the Stuart Haas just had an image rebrand of what their what their logos are going to do. There, there's a bunch of things going that way. Um, you haven't seen to, or Tony heard much from Tony with any of these things that all of a sudden going on. This happening. Miner's gone. Today. Well, that's from Haas's stuff. Part of it too. Like I think there's some changes that are going through that that company and and anything that's associated with it. Tony's just I think. At some point, he's going to have way too many things going on, and at some point, something might get taken away. And maybe, maybe this uh, acquisition by Ray is a way of um, transitioning into something else. Maybe was that that Tony can maybe step away or have a lesser role. But I don't even know if they're together anymore as partners in SRX. I don't, I don't know what the whole thing is because I think Bobby said in ours that Ray had stepped away for a bit. So, so the other thing, I'm sorry, David, I was going to say is the cars themselves for the IROC, I had an indi- I, I can't see it now, but I thought there was an indicator. They're actually going to use the original old cars. They're not building new cars for IROC. They're going to use the old ones. And so I was thinking, man, this is going to be a great car. We need this in iRacing. This is uh, the style of racing before NASCAR neutered everything. Well, and then I like I think I posted a couple of days ago or when we saw this, I just remember the sound they make. They had the nice super ways or super speedway sound uh, motors to them um, that reminded me back when the cup cars were at Talladega and Daytona when they had, I don't know, it was the X pipe or whatever that they had under the car where it sounded totally different um, than they do nowadays. Do I remember correctly that they, they basically didn't allow any practices or adjustments in them, though? Everybody just got a car and went? Yeah. yeah. So, so it was essentially fixed setup racing, whereas XRX at least had minor adjustments that each driver could make. I, I hope they copy that idea um, because otherwise it's going to be like it was before and it's really just going to be dominated by the oval guys. Yeah, and that's what made SRX uh, enjoyable to watch because you could see guys, you know, they may come in, they'd, they'd run, I don't know, they had either stage break or whatever, but they come in and make some changes to the car, um, you know, which made the racing a lot better. So, um, yeah, the, I mean, the announcements that they're planning to use uh, the historic cars while they continue to explore future opportunities. So, um now, now, I know that Ray helped design the car that SRX uses, so I don't know. Maybe it's all tied together somehow. So oh. the question may be, does I, did, I, did Ray have inside information about SRX's troubles and that's pointed him in this direction? Or did this, or did he basically not like things going on at SRX and decided to kind of push him out? A couple things. So 
Paul Tracy's probably licking his chops, okay? Because he got let go by these guys, and now they're gone, and he, you know, he's part of the show, right? And he, Paul Tracy's the big show. But anyway, um, I like John said, I, I have fond racing memories of IROC in the past. I remember at Indianapolis, Eddie Cheever, Ari Leindyke, Mark Martin dicing it out. And I think Ari got spun down to the inside of pit road and all and totaled the car. And this, you know, great racing at big tracks, Michigan, uh, you know, Talladega, stuff like that. Yeah. And I, and I do think, you know, and I, I, I'm, I have good memories of this and I think the so-called fixed setup approach was actually what made it so good. And then, you know, David, to your question, you know, did Evernham have inside information? I mean, why would he why would he get involved in this? Something that hasn't run in fifteen plus years, if he didn't have information about what was going on at SRX. Yeah, I don't think I'm i I'm basically asking which one was first, the chicken or the egg. The other difference between these series is IROC was traditionally, like I mentioned, a large oval series, okay? And uh, SRX, as we know, has been a, a short track series. So uh, will this new iteration of IROC be, uh, uh, which one will it go with kind of thing? I think that's unknown, but hey, I'm excited to get IROC uh, car in iRacing. Let's get a scan. What I'm sad about is that they're not going to be, one of the tracks that would be great for them to run on in California is not going to be part of it. That, that would be a hell of a track for these cars to race on. All right. Well, let's hit a quick one. We've got a, a nice little quick Twitter post from Tyler Hudson. They have the 2024 season iRacing late model ready. He's moving up a division this year. Um, and uh, that's what you got is a white car with the iRacing logo right on the front. And boy, is that a twisted sister. Looks pretty cool. Nice, nice paint. Mostly white, but it's got the red on the back quarter panels and red and blue. Um, but yeah, can you know, good luck to Tyler Hudson. Um, he did so well in uh, the late models, and um, and now he's going up to the division. Well done. All right, what do we have here next, Brian? So, uh, this is a video I racing posted on Twitter x however you want to call it and um they just title it uh, you've got to be ready when opportunity knocks so it's a it's um it's a four car race to the finish um the car that's in fourth place is uh is trailing behind and uh yeah the uh, the three cars on the last turn of the race i think these are they're not skip barbers are they they're they're, they're a small formula engine right car um but uh, yeah, the fourth, the last turn of the track, they make just a touch, a little bit of contact to slow the top three racers up, and this guy just squeezes in, um, using some draft and and them slowing down just a touch to pass all three of them uh, on the final straightaway to get this victory. It was a it was an excellent finish, and 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 they're right, you know when when you know you're in fourth place like that, anything can happen on the final turn of a race, even where you can. Um, you can pull out a victory out of nowhere. You got to be ready. Don't don't ever give up. Over till the fat lady sings. Well, if you think of that, that track's got such a long straightaway just to get to the start finish line. If you set up right on that last corner like he did, he had a shot at it, and they kind of just opened the door more by having some contact and slowing themselves up. I think this also details out a different kind of oval race, or not oval, but 
uh, open wheel racing um, that's a little different than a, a traditional fendered car like at Indianapolis in, in an open wheel car if you're leading on the white you're a sitting duck you know you almost want to be second or third or fourth in line so so as Greg said as you get the slingshot come into the checker you know you get that draft and um, and so it almost seems like this guy in fourth was just waiting for that moment. You know, he, he knew the draft would come, you know, come into the checker. He waited for it. It happened. Boom. He got it. And you also can't block in these cars or, or, or bad news will happen. And there's actually, it's actually in the sporting code too. And it actually directly says it doesn't even say anything about there being your allowed one racing move. If you go back and read the code, it actually says that if the, if you're if the trailing car makes a move on the straightaway, you can't respond to it. You can defend and block the inside lane first. But if you go to the outside and when he comes down, then you come down, that's actually against the sporting code. Which nobody reads. Or follows. <laughs> I think I've talked about it last week, but I got a guy on this because he was like, well, I'm allowed to move before the braking zone. No, you're not. <laughs> not in response. Um, so, so it definitely becomes a, a major chess match, doesn't it? Moving away from ch chess matches and on to glitching, Brian, we've got actually not Brian. Let's toss this one to Brad. I just did Brian. Uh, no glitching in iRacing, and we covered his video on the on the one thing that's going to get patched out, which we'll talk about more later. But he's got a video of some of the more extreme glitches. Yeah, so uh, one of our favorite contributors, as usual, DJ EJ, posted a short video of some of our races and more extreme glitches. Uh, you know, some of these we've talked about before. Um, there's certain tracks where you can kind of roll over to a spot and you can actually tip the car into a hold and get launched up into the air. Um, some of them where you can get into a tire stack and, and uh, end up getting thrown different places. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, again, we've talked before. I don't know if people just kind of go out looking for this stuff um, or what. I don't know. Um, but, yes, we we did see that one of the ones we talked about, uh, I guess, a week or two ago with the uh, late model uh, in reverse uh, has gotten fixed in the patch that was done today. One of my favorites that he reminded me of is driving the fence at center pedal track. Um, if you get your rights kind of up on the curbing and up onto the wall, you can literally get your car up onto the fence and, and just go around the circle um, and, in a vertical fashion, kind of like Spider-Man stuck to a wall. I've done that before, and it's fun just to try to get it up on the fence and see how far you can go. So that's kind of a fun thing to try. And then the obvious one is, uh, the, at the coming off the pit road at Talladega, there's an entrance just to the left, right after the pit road exit. And like Brad said, if you creep into there really slow and fall into the hole, it'll launch you into space. I can't remember a specific time, that, but there were some cases where you really could wall ride to get an insane lap time too. Irwindale, they used to have a problem with that, I think. Uh, there was another one he called Dale Jr. Force Field. There's a track where you drive through the tunnel, and Dale Jr. and Steve Myers are standing in the tunnel. And if you try to run into them, it'll it'll, it'll make the jump uh, car jump or fly. I think that was Lincoln, which is weird because Lincoln doesn't have a tunnel in real life. <laughs> I, I know that Dale, I guess Jr. and Steve are supposedly at every track, so.
we, we we were hoping and knew it was coming and it's official. India's back. Irising and IndyCar are pleased to announce a multi-year licensing agreement, officially re reuniting the two legendary brands. So we all knew it was coming. Anybody just chime in on this one. Yay. Are we bitter? Are we happy with IndyCar? Are we bitter at IndyCar? So, you know, uh, was it officially just one year it's been gone? Yes. Yeah. I am hopeful that lesson learned. I, I, I don't I don't hold, you know, well, I hold a grudge over something. They, they made a bad choice. People make bad choices. I And they got kind of lucky that it's only cost them a year of of this, the other relationships they could have had. So I'm just hopeful lessons learned. And I hope that all the other series and sanctioning bodies out there see this as a lesson learned. So I just look back, do you guys remember that TikTok that I posted about how many times we said Indy when they folded that I made a, a spoof of for my racing? Say again, I was, was reading your message. The, the video that I sent, how many times we said indie in one of the uh, um, oh, yeah. posts. I, I just looked when I posted that. It was December 29th, so it is just over a year. Brian, can you just throw that back on the script before you do the final edit? Yep. Well, so what, what has been announced is a new licensing agreement is basically bringing back everything that we had before. The return of the iRacing Indy 500. There'll be IndyCar series branding on all the series on iRacing uh, that are applicable. Multiple leagues will run the IndyCar series events on iRacing. Um, and then a license extension of the actual track, Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And so we're back. So I went to go try to find where your profile was on the member site. And, uh, you know, where they where you couldn't put the word Indy in, remember? If you were like an Indy 500 winner, it would exit out. That's That page is gone. There's no profile on the uh, page on the, uh, as far as I can tell, on the, on the old member site. Now, shortly after the announcement, um, if you're a listener in our, in iRacers Lounge, and you're part of our Discord channel, you got a scoop because iRacing staff member Drew Adamson came into our Discord and posted uh, news about this before he made it public uh, about broadcasting. He said broadcasters are permitted to uh, broadcast racing again, utilizing the final uh, the three cars, the IR18, the DW12, and the IR05. Uh, you still have to follow the broadcast and paint guidelines, but that restriction has been lifted. Thank you, Drew, for letting our listeners know first. Uh, that was pretty cool. And at least in our circles, the the Lionheart League is going to be very happy with this because they were stuck running the Lotus 79 for that same series. And I'm, I'm sure I, it's a pretty good bet that they will switch back. Now we have some more details about the different IndyCar series later in the show, but I do want to point out something that is completely missing in all the announcements that I hope iRacing hears this. Please, please, please save our, our series called Delara Dash. This is a ghost town. It is gutted with the jet car. I mean, nobody races it. I've been looking at uh, racing Delara Dash over the last few weeks 
And I, every time I go to run it, there's one person, two persons, three, three people, maybe four, if I'm lucky, I, there's not even enough people to make a race. So I would love the, the original IndyCar to come back to that series and let's, let's make it what it used to be. What does, what does that teach us? The fantasy isn't always the best thing. It was a good idea at the time to boost some revenue, but it just isn't there to, for longevity. Well, that car is also not really an oval car. It's not the Indy car. The Indy car is the only open wheel car that has really historically been an oval car, right? And I wasn't here last week when we kind of broke the news, or when we were talking about some stuff. But man, am I excited for that IndyCar NIS series to come back like that they have the IndyCar racing series um, to have that to add to uh, racing each week because I really missed that I like the road courses of it sometimes I didn't do some of the oval parts of it but I love racing at, at uh, a lot of the um, tracks like Long Beach and uh, uh, Barber Motorsport Park and all those things like that with this IndyCar and I can't wait to run the 500 and I know a lot of the, I know probably every guy in this team is, is just chomping at the bit for that. You know, as far as Delara Dash, look, you, we gave the Jet Car a, a, an entire year in that series to perform, to, to drive, you know, racing. It didn't happen. I mean, it, it's a good car. They do have an oval version of the car. It drives well on ovals, but... But I don't know what it is. Is it because, you know, it costs money? I mean, the IndyCar costs money, too. But I, I don't know why it never took off. Because it's not a like one of you said, it's not a real car. And so it's just not going to draw the same interest. It's it's hard to it's hard to want to drive something if you don't have any relation to it. Like I when I see something on TV, like if, if I'm going to go like obviously we're, we're racing uh, the 24 hours of Daytona. Uh, the Rolex race before IMSA. But if I went and watched that IMSA race, it makes me want to go afterwards and go run IMSA races. Just kind of like, I wish that on Sundays, instead of having the fixed race at nine o'clock, we had an open race at nine o'clock because I want to race on Sundays uh, after the NASCAR races, but I just don't like the fixed series of the racing for it. So it's kind of just, for me, it's like when you see the car on TV or, or, or just in general, you want to. It, it makes you want to do it. And if there's nothing to relate to it, it's hard to um, want to go and race that series. Well, that's definitely a good idea, and it's definitely good news. And I know a lot of a lot of our friends and one of our uh, kind of ally shows over at Mad Sim Racing are super happy about this. They they were catching it just as quick as we were catching it. So uh, we'll wrap that topic and move on to World of Outlaws Week 7. Take it away, Brian. Yeah, guys. So uh, the World of Outlaws are back after a two-week uh, hiatus for the holidays. Um, they were at Fairbury Speedway, which is a, a nice little uh, short track, but really wide. So uh, had some really good racing in it. Um, and uh, coming out with the win for the week is Aiden Forrester, who wins his first ever World of Outlaw race. Um, second place was Hayden Cardwell, and third was uh, Ryan Avila. Um, it was a it was awesome race. Um, there was a one there was a caution real early in the race, and then it went green the rest of the way. Um, Hayden Cardwell actually was on the pole for the feature, and he was in command of the entire race. Um, 
Aiden Forrester was not far behind him as the laps were counting down. And uh, Hayden Cardwell, man, he just he's, he runs right against the wall. And he's awesome at it and super fast at it. But running against the wall is just such a small, um, small margin for error. And with two laps to go, he clipped the wall in one of the turns. And uh, Aiden Forrester got by him. And wound up holding on to win the race. So, so really, Hayden Carwell pretty much dominated most of the race. Just made one mistake towards the end that cost him this uh, this uh, victory. Um, with that win, Aiden Forster pulls within three points of Ryan Avilia for the lead in the uh, in the overall points after seven weeks. So. Um, She's got three races to go. Uh, Logan Rumsey runs up the top three. Um, and uh, Alex Bergeron, uh, who was okay yesterday, finished uh, seventh or Monday. And uh, he's still he's still about 60 points back. So right now it looks like it's a two-person race to the finish. But those points can, go, can change dramatically if somebody just has a bad heat or gets wrecked in the heat and can't get through the qualifying. Um, uh, last chance qualifiers so still a lot of racing to go in this series but um it looks like uh, ryan avilia and aiden forrester are um going to be battling out probably for the rest of the season amazing that he he wins his first race and he's like literally three points out of the lead on the points so he's been top five and top ten in them and uh, yeah he's going to be hard to beat well that usually means you're close to a win anyway right if you're keeping in position you finally get the break Yep, it's been really consistency for both of those two guys. Matter of fact, uh, Aiden was the only one with his win. He's the only one of the top two who who have won a race this season. So, um, so yeah, the top two drivers have not won a single race this year, except for except for Aiden this this past this past week. But um, but they've been consistent all all season long. So that's and that's what it takes because the point swings can be so bad if you if you just have one bad heat race or or get in one accident. It's all over. You know, I've said this before. Say it again. These guys are fun to watch, even if you don't do dirt racing. If you're an eye racer, you need to watch at least one of these. These guys tear up that dirt track. They're really talented, and, and give it a try. Uh, it's a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Yeah, you're right. And if you if you haven't tried it, like a, a 410 sprint car on a dirt track, you'll, you'll get a really good appreciation of how hard it is and how good these guys are at it. All right. Let's have a moment of silence for the Legacy member site. Oh. We will miss you. Did Mike leave just so he was hoping this didn't happen? <laughs> Mike, Mike was so upset he had to get up and walk away, man. <laughs> yeah. This is where he comes in with the trumpets and has like a, a solo hey, that he's been practicing. I, I, I'll go put my clarinet right together now and play some blues. You need to play taps. <laughs> I, I I thought about it, but boy, I, I got a lot of military friends, and I, I I always fear that's too sacrilegious. Oh, he didn't come back with a trumpet. No, but I'm disappointed. Uh, I mean. So it's gone. Um, January 16th, it's going to happen. I hope it, it does mean that they were able to improve security measures because that sounds like a decent justification as much as I've been screaming about it. The next step, though, is that I'm going to be on tap with support saying, make this faster. As If I can do the same things I could do on the website, 
okay and that includes they said they're going to they're including a browser inside it so and they waited until they had that ready if it can get where i can make it what where i know my two series that i'm running all year and then go click click boom and i'm in then fine uh i have been using it to run the little practice races that we've been doing with ai i've experimented with ai for the first time this week we did a practice race had the wrong skill level but it was still very educational um so that part's working pretty good um as long as long as they keep listening and keep fixing it fine i you got to move forward can't keep looking backwards at some point well, you know, I, I was calling from the service for almost seven years, left when it was strictly the legacy uh, site. And at back that point, they were talking about the new UI coming, had never been released. Um, I've been on the UI ever since I came back and really haven't had any issues. Um, I actually fumbled around more trying to find stuff on the old member site because it was been so long since I looked at it. But I, I haven't had any issues. I know, Mike, you've had some connection issues. Um, but I, I haven't had anything really. Um, the only thing I struggled with a little bit was trying to maybe find some older results, you know, from years ago. Um, but again, I think we've kind of talked about that before the, on the last show that there ought to be a database or something where you can go find that stuff. I'm going to be on the horn to support for sure if I get the won't load problem because there won't be an alternative uh, like before where I could just pop open the website and then push the green button and get in. So, um, yeah, I, I hope they get ready to hear from me. You're not allowed to blame me because it's going down the day before my birthday. At least it missed my birthday by a day. So we don't have to worry about it being cursed. How long until you think they have to bring it back if something goes wrong on the UI? Uh, you know, the thing that kind of gets in my craw a little bit is they've had so long to get to this point where they're turning it off. And it's still not bulletproof the new one i mean at least for some of us who get the loading uh, at 90 percent problem stuck there all right let's move on to some happier news uh i guess because we, we like to see it because it is more rare racing is still dominated by guys uh but it's fun to root for girls and i racing especially in greg's case has daughters i have nieces that i cheer for for things i also have a lot of female students that that i want to see go into whatever they want to go to so for that reason we tend to get excited about these types of uh stories and i brad i think you found this lady didn't you Yes, yeah, so I saw this scrolling through X. Uh, they really didn't know anything about her. Uh, Ash Fandley says she's excited to be working with Shift Up Now uh, and actually going to do some webinars for members um, new to iRacing and try to break down, I guess, some of the barriers. So went and did a little bit of searching uh, about this, and apparently Shift Up Now is it's a group um, basically of all female racers. Um, that's a kind of an organization where you can join. You know, there's some some money involved, but they offer webinars and offer opportunities to help uh, ladies uh, get involved uh, with racing, um, re real world racing. And I guess they're they're going to do some stuff with iRacing racing as well. So I just like I said, kind of stumbled across. I thought it was pretty neat. But yeah, I mean, any opportunity we have to to bring more people into the sport. Um, you know, I've got a son and a daughter. Um, you know, my son was really enjoyed racing. Um, you know, took my daughter to a dirt track one time, and she's like, "Oh my gosh, this is the greatest thing in the world!" Um, and she's been to a few races and, and enjoys it. Um, but again, any opportunity we can have to expand, whether it's virtual or real world, uh, I'm all for it. Now, this here is it's just inclusive. It's not trying to. It's not singling out. Obviously, it's not women or or men based. Um, 
joining it, right? Or going um, to them? It just says new newbies, right? Yeah. I, mean, I, I don't think to... she's uh, real. Well, I mean, I haven't gotten to look into it, but what I read here doesn't say anything about talking about women in iRacing or anything like that. It's just a, wom a woman who does iRacing. So, yeah. so, Mike, this reminds me of, uh, was it Dave Kamer or Cater? They used to do this back in the day with Rhea Fala. Or was it Rhea Fala? Yeah, like a webinar teaching. Yeah, they, they used to teach how to set up some stuff like that at uh, events, and they would have Ray go around the track, do a couple things, tell tell what uh, he needed. Uh, Dave would make, or, or, or he would make some changes, and then they would go back out and just back and forth. It was kind of just so people could ask questions. It's kind of cool that they're doing this. Yeah, so looking at the the website, which is shiftupnow.com, um, again, it's it's ideally it's geared towards towards ladies, um, but it does say you know we want to be be a resource for racers, whether male or female, you know, offering advice, coaching, and and whatnot. So, again, it's a it's a membership, it's a group, um, you know, that you can join. I guess in order to get access to some of this stuff, you do have to be a member in order to get access to the webinar. Uh, but again, like I said, I just kind of came across it, and thought it was something neat. Well, if you think about it, I mean, racing is not like other sports. You know, if you're going to watch Major League Baseball, it's men. And the reason is, well, let's be honest, men are probably better at it. In the NBA, you don't have women because, well, they're not all seven feet tall. But when it comes to racing, women can do this just as well as men can. And it's it's not a it's not a sport that is limited by whether you're a man or a woman. I'd love to see more women in this, so I, I think it's a great cause. The car doesn't know your gender. Yeah, just to clarify, right. in the other sports, it's law of averages. All right, there, you know, um, there are women out there that could run circles around most men in basketball. Right, you you try to you take any of us and go try to try to hang with a WNBA team and we'd get our asses handed to us, but your top top percent is there's just a genetic advantage uh, on law of averages. Yeah, and and genetics don't like I said, the car doesn't know your genetics. If you're in shape and you can wheel the car, and you can use your your your, your physical and uh, athletic ability um that is needed just to move to get the car around the track that's all you need it's it, there is no you know if, you, if you're seven feet over five feet it doesn't really make a difference uh in this it just it just matters if you, you can do it i mean obviously there's not been a lot of precedence for it but down the road i'm sure there will be where we get um both of them mixing male and female to racing where it's it, it doesn't even matter anymore yeah, I mean, I spent, you know, this year I watched most of the cars tour races, um, whether it's the, you know, the super late model or just the regular late model. And there's quite a few girls that are running in there and running very competitive. So, again, I've raced with girls through the years, um, you know, in I racing and some leagues and stuff. And, again, I, I agree with you, with you, Greg. It's more about opportunity. You know, unfortunately, it's been a boys club for, for many years. Um, but it's all good. And what it will take to see that female Jimmy Johnson at some point is just more and more and more women. All right. Because think about how many men are not Jimmy Johnson. So you got to have that many shots to, to you got to have that many rolls of the dice 
to increase your chances of finding that that diamond in the rough. So you're saying if you if you get one Jimmy Johnson in every hundred thousand men that come out of it or million men, you're gonna have to get one Jimmy Johnson female out of ten million, hundred million. Well, the same number, roughly the same number of shots. Do you think they get the same shots? So that's why I'm saying the number has to be higher, more shots being taken. No, I think you've got to get the numbers to the same shots. Right now, the numbers are the same shots. That is true. There is no comparison of being the same. We're not. You're not having the same amount entering in. But anyway, since she's definitely doing her first webinar on uh, beginning iRacers, she's probably not talking to this next guy, John. No, she's not. Uh, so we have a guy who has hit eleven thousand i rating. Um, and I, you know what? I was just trying to look at his name. Aaron. Aaron. Yeah, Aaron Vasquez. And he's hit 11,000 already. I guess that's in road courses. Didn't know that was possible, man. I mean, that's, I don't know what it takes to get to 11,000, but congratulations to him. That's, that's quite a feat. It's rare. There's only a, a handful of people above 11,000. So he actually has a screenshot he posted of the list of the road course guys at the top of the chain. And he's at the number one spot. It's there's what three or there's no, there's three that oh, almost three at there's only two at 11. 10 seems to be more common nowadays for the roadside. We just don't have that on the oval side as much as the roadside now, do we? There's a few. There's two or three, if I remember right. Um, All the power to you. Cool. That's, a, that's a really distinct list there. If you look at that list of the top 25, and they're all over uh, 10,000 I rating. It's a lot of wins to back up that 11,000. So that's the way I look at it is you, you don't get that number without winning. I'm telling you why. I and mean, he's done a lot of winning. By the way, that livery is on his car is really, really nice, too. I was looking at that. So when you get up in those high I ratings like that, I mean, you have to figure this guy. I mean, he has to finish, what, P1, P2, P3 to even gain any I rating? He right. might lose I rating if he doesn't win. Yes, that's the thing. It's It probably depends on the strengths of field, and probably if he's the highest, he's got to win it. Now, I mean, I don't know what the strategies are that he probably knows to increase his chances up there other than just being damn good. But there's probably some other things that he might avoid. He's probably not going to jump in when there's when the strength of field is only going to be 2,000. Now, he's got at real VRS as a thing. Is that the actual VRS site? So he's a coach. Okay. So is he one of the coaches? It looks like he might be a coach. Yeah, see, what I'm saying is if he's doing, if he's joining the strength of field races, he's racing the toughest racers, but he's also going to not take as much of a hit as if for some reason he gets knocked out of the race and a guy with 2,000 I rating beats him. If a guy with 2,000 I rating beats him, it's going to slam. It's going to, it's going to chew away because it, it's kind of, um, it's just a greater, it's such a large sum that it's going to, it's going to kill him. Whereas if he loses to a 7,000 guy, it's not going to hit him as hard. Um, but let's have a short talk about new rules, Greg. Yeah, so NASCAR released this week uh, 
their new short pra- short track package on their uh, they, sh- they obviously showed it up on the uh, on their Twitter page um, the new rules package and I kind of went through it um, while we were talking about it so it's a new uh, rear diffuser plate as they're calling it and an increase of an inch to the top and sides of the spoiler um, to help with reducing drag under or sorry not drag um, downforce on the back of the car from underneath which in case I guess they said they had to increase a little bit of downforce back by putting the weight the spoiler on but uh, what has caught they've noticed in the test was that the car was going to um, be a little bit more maneuverable where it slides around and they might have a little bit more of a uh, to get into the corners kind of maybe more sideways but they're also were noticing when they were getting sideways they weren't losing it the way that they normally would as well um, whereas when all the all the uh, fins and stuff under the other diffuser weren't working or wasn't working as intended you didn't just Spun the, spin the car out so it'll be interesting to see what this actually does i feel like my opinion on it and my opinion will always be this way because i'm so stuck in my ways um i think it's lipstick on a pig type thing that they're trying here and not doing the right thing put the horsepower back in the I car actually replied, the solution. i actually replied to nascar's tweet on this and i basically told them wrong answer you need to increase the horsepower and remove the downforce I actually got a lot of engagement on that tweet uh, from NASCAR fans. I, I they blew it up with the likes, the retweets, the replies. Um, I think I'm onto something, guys. Now, David, you, you were, we were talking about it, and the reason I wanted to say something on this topic, I want to know how this is going to affect iRacing. They can visually take away. How are they going to change the sure pat track package on the car? We obviously could change the visuals of the car, but how is iRacing going to change the way these cars drive on the short tracks if they have no data for what this does to it? I, obviously, it's going to be numbers and stuff that they can probably maybe get from NASCAR to simulate it, but I don't know. When we go to New Hampshire, or, we're, or I'm sorry, the first will be the first one. It'll be Phoenix, right? Phoenix. Um, when we go and run Phoenix, we're gonna. Have, I feel like it's just gonna be the same old tra- short track package because there's no data for iRacing to change anything on it. So, what's what's the effect on iRacing with this new change? Um, what can well, they implement for it? The data that they need isn't necessarily just exactly how fast the car runs. They can. iRacing is a physics simulator. Okay, so if they tell iRacing they did this to the spoiler and they did this to the diffuser, iRacing itself is probably going to have a pretty good idea what's going to happen too. That's my guess. Okay, so they maybe can go ahead and actually put in the physical changes and then as data comes in, fine tune it. Now, there is some data. They had the Phoenix test. And if I now tell me if I'm wrong, but I think Tyler Reddick and told us that he it didn't feel any different i think it seemed kind of when you doing a lot of them were talking about it because denny went off like every one of the shows that had um specials near the end of the year they were talking about um that it just wasn't it wasn't what it, they should they needed it needed to be something more and i think what was it kevin harvick on dale jr's podcast that right near the end of the year 
he said that you're going to need something around like 900 to a thousand horsepower just to make a difference in these cars because of how wide the tires are and what they've gone to. And it's just, I just don't see, you know, I had a strong argument the other day that, you know, they can't seem NASCAR can't seem to get out of their own way with some of the rules that they've been they're, they're what they're trying to do. And you hear that they're trying to save money and they're trying to do all this, but you, you listen from the owners that, uh, it has in saving money, and and they're also the it's, this is the owners that are in a fight with NASCAR to have new rules with their you know a new agreement between them that, that they still have yet to come to um, for partnerships. So I don't know. It, it's 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 a tough thing to know what it is, but not to not even take it as an option to say, hey, one of the cars were, or two of the cars we're going to put another 200 250 horsepower back into it and just see what it does seems ignorant to me and not 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 a, tr a true test of what they should be trying because they even said that they were going to take a different transaxle axle to try it and they never ended up doing that as well here's the here is the thing about the horsepower because we all know that's the best idea and i and i pro they probably do too according to bobby who has some pretty good inside connections, the manufacturers just say, we don't want that horsepower. They say, we're not going to support you if you run this big of an engine. So that they may just have their hands tied by the manufacturers. Okay. From, from the engine manufacturers, not an issue for horsepower. Everything I've read and heard, um, it's not an issue. They can get 900,000 horsepower, whatever they want to do. The quickest yeah. fix is the tire. That's the quickest fix. You put them on a get. You can keep the. I guess they run where they run in twenties, eighteens, whatever they're running. It's too, wide, it's, too, it's too wide of a tire. The grip patch is too big. That's the problem. You know, it doesn't matter what you do to horsepower. If you don't make a change to the tire, it's not going to make a difference. The quickest fix is the tire. But you also yeah. need to increase speed going into the corner or going down the straightaway and breaking into the corner. If, if the tire is not going to fix that part, it's going to fix the acceleration on exit and, and make it looser in the corner. Correct. Got to get that's, them off yeah, the throttle. Yeah, that's that's the whole issue. That's what I brought up in the chat. You know, they go the the with this new car the corner speed is increased and that's the problem you cannot pass unless you're slowing down you've got to be able to get off the throttle the more off time throttle you've got the better opportunity you have for racing and it's not that the engine manufacturers can't make a thousand power engine it's that the oems the the big boys toyota chevy ford they do not want Thousand power, power engines I, on the track. I, I get it, but you know, I, I know we talked about the whole nostalgia thing and whatever. But you know, these guys used to be superheroes. I mean, that's the way you looked at them. To get in a car with a thousand horsepower and control it, they were superheroes, and that's and the third slowest. They're the third slowest car on the track. Yes, they are. So, what is that like? If that's the case, why are they the third slowest car on the track? between the other two series too. That doesn't show very good. So you're telling me that Toyota's number one selling brand car Camry um, is slower than their Xfinity yes. Supra? Yes, the pinnacle of oval sports in the US is the third slowest in the touring series. Makes no sense whatsoever. It, it, it just, to me, it boggles my mind. Like if you got thousands and hundreds of thousands and people saying like, just try it, just try it. Like, the, 
you can you can keep sticking by your guns as as manufacturers, but their manufacturers are in trouble right now with their brands. There's a there's less cars being sold. There's going to be an influx in whatever we end up going to down the road of EVs or hybrids or hydrogen vehicles, depending on what it is. But I don't know where you are. I didn't see them in in uh, in the NHRA slowing dragsters down because OEMs. I don't see uh, Mercedes, Ferrari, all them slowing down their cars to do it. Yes, uh, yeah, them. they did. Yeah, uh, F one and Indy have both slowed their cars down. But they went to a thousand. They still make over a thousand horsepower on a one point six liter V six. So it's it's not. And they still spend $145 million a year on their car or as a budget for teams. Like, if there is, it's just, there seems to be a disconnect. And is NASCAR the third best thing product on the, on the track, or are they the pinnacle? And that's where I lose my disconnect because you hear even the, the most expert people saying the Xfinity, Xfinity series is the most exciting to watch. Obviously, the truck series is like, you know, inexperienced drivers, so it's kind of a, a, a shit show depending on what you get each week. Um, but why are we allowed, why is it okay for us to say that the Xfinity series week after week is better product on the track um, from all your experts, all your media people, all that stuff, and you still continue to fuck, nah, I don't want to say fuck around, but screw around with uh, a little plate here. Maybe the plate works, I don't know, but to not even in the off season to take one of these manufacturers or all three of them, put a motor in it and do it. It just tells me that you're either stubborn in your ways and you want to not do something or um, you just don't, you don't care about finding an actual fix. This, I mean, it's Steve O'Donnell and his shills. I mean, they need to fire the lot of them, you know, and uh, let's make Dale jr. The, the leader of NASCAR uh, uh, technical uh, division or something. Uh, let's get one of like Kevin Harvick or some of these, these retired drivers to make some decisions on behalf of NASCAR that might be best for the series. I, that would be cool. Like I know we're trying to be safe and stuff. I, I don't think we need to go 215 down the Michigan straightaway again to get in the corners. Like I'm not trying to make it unsafe for the drivers. And I know this car has kind of proven that, you know, it wasn't safe at the beginning. I don't know if it's gotten drastically better because did we really have, we had some bad wrecks last year that tested it, but I just, I feel, I feel as a fan, it's like, you know, we're going to try and fix this, the package and what did they do? They did the same two things they tried at New Hampshire earlier in the season when they did all this stuff. I didn't stuff. fix anything with this. This is yeah. a joke. It, and and Goodyear and like I think Bobby's brought this up. Goodyear's not going to put a tire out there that, that runs them at a risk of it failing because if it fails, it's very very bad for their business. And they don't run that business on a racing to make money. They just as a sponsor. It's yeah, that's the that's the point I'm, the indie, I'm brought up. The indie debacle really could really screw them up, right? Yeah. 
Well, speaking of fixed, because you mentioned fixed, let's talk about fixed RTP and, and doing other things to limit ingenuity in the world of stock car racing. Um, there have been some rumors that iRacing Road to Pro Series was going to go to fixed setup. And I think these should actually be kind of trait kind of posted in the opposite order. So I'm going to read them in the opposite order because I saw a tweet from Tyler D. Hudson that there has been no official announcement or statement of RTB being fixed setup. The rules document for the Coke series plus the qualifiers into Coke will be officially released very soon. However, we are keeping Road to Pro as open setup. All right. And we had several guys on the team sources who who heard this was was going to be the case and, and then there was a treat from logan clampett uh that says we all know that if the unofficial rtp document wasn't leaked and people didn't throw a fit it would have been fixed set up for round one exactly this oh, is them covering there themselves. A, there's a forum post i don't have the link to where people posted screenshots of said document um that shows that it's going to be fixed. And so what happened here is iRacing published their working document that isn't official yet, but they've published it was out there where people could open it and read it. And so that's what started the, all the rumors. Uh, people started talking um what's going to happen to the setup shops and that kind of thing throughout the week. But you know, I think some of us talked about like it did iRacing do this on purpose to try to float it, the idea and see what the community's reaction was? Uh, did they, you know, quietly put that out there and, and see if anyone noticed? Uh, or was this a legit mistake? They didn't mean to publish it. Um, and they were going to run it fixed. But because of all the uproar, they just, you know, they have uh, Tony, uh, excuse me, um, Hudson come out, Tyler Hudson come out and say, no, it, it's not going to be fixed. Um, fix setups in the, in the top, at the top level. Yuck. That's all I got to say is yuck. Okay. I know they're probably trying the problem. Maybe they're concerned about the burnout or the time that you have to put into it. But once you're at the top level, that's just, just yuck. And when you run a fixed race setup, then you're not testing who the best driver. You really don't test who the best driver is. You test who the best driver of that fixed setup is. I mean, in the real world, we don't use fixed setups. And this is road to pro, not road to fixed. So, Except for IROC. Is this, there you go. Here's one of the things that I was wondering about this, Mike, when I saw it. Is this an... Because obviously what happens with Road to Pro is it dies out the further it gets into it because people don't want to put effort into it when they know they're kind of out of it, right? So, like, the further it gets down. So they're trying to make maybe bring more people in. I feel like this Road to Pro idea with the fixed setup is the same thing where they got, when they got rid of the fast or when they added fast tracking through the license system. It was to make people more attracted to keep coming in and racing each week. And so my license could go from a, a rookie to an A in the same week or whatever is what you want instead of actually having to spend time doing something. So I thought I felt like this was one of those things where iRacing gave into something to try and either revenue-based get more people involved or just uh, just try and um, keep the participation up to keep maybe track. Well, what is it? Mac Maconi Setups is actually sponsoring the Road to Pro this year. Like, keep 
the interest for a sponsorship or something. I just, it just felt, it kind of felt when iRacing changed back in the day to switching the, it, the, the advanced license system. I think, um, I think it's not a bad idea myself, actually, at least for the first round. Remember, there's two rounds of Road to Pro. And I think it, if you did fixed, it would drive participation. Absolutely. I've always been a proponent for our listeners to run this series, even if they're not capable of going to the Coke series. Why? Because it's fun and, and it's a great, you know, it's truck at ovals and there should be a lot of good drivers participating. And if you, if, if you can imagine it being fixed, you'd have even more participation. It'd be an event, you know, people would wait for this each week and run it, you know, kind of thing. And, I've participated in Road to, Pro, Road to Pro in the past, but as Greg stated, just the first couple weeks usually because it's too much to figure out the setup when it's open setup. It's too much to pay a setup company uh, for a setup to run Road to Pro when I know I'm not going to be a, a serious contender. So I actually like the idea. Here's another thing I was thinking about. This is not saying this is what would happen, but say someone is in the road to pro fixed and their natural talent of driving and they win the series and get through under the fixed and they get into with the big boys where they have the setups and all that. Um, is it fair to a company and say he's slow because of um, he's not great with getting setups and, and getting attuned to what the other racers are uh, that are in that series is it fair to the brands that invest in it that have to actually pick that driver because he's in the top 40 um, that he didn't actually show that he's great at running open setups when he's going in an open set series? And maybe what if he's two seconds off the pace running an open set when he was faster and in, in a fixed set, is it fair to say junior because he has to sign him because um, they're obligated to sign someone in that series? Also, fixed setups are designed to be drivable by the masses, and they're not optimized for pro-level drivers. And that, and then when so you spend that whole year learning to drive a, a that that set, and then at where you're really not on the edge. Most of, almost all the cars are pushed loose, right? And and then you get a car that's actually tuned where it might be a little bit loose on entry and he hasn't been doing that for a whole year. I think leaving it open is the right answer, even though I think fixed would be cool too, because of that, because you're going into the next series, um, the Xfinity car and then on to Coke and where there is open setup racing, I think road to pro should be open. So and, and you said, go ahead, David. You said fixed setups would be better for you because you know you're not really going to be a contender anyway. This is Road to Pro, and even though it has a huge turnout, oh, it, is it is ultimately for guys trying to get into the Pro Series. And so that should be the main decision. Road to Pro, they should not be thinking about us average Joes. This is, I kind of feel like this is the same discussion we just had about the cup cars. Like you're trying to dilute something to make it better, but it's not, it's just not what I think is, is needed to entice me. I don't know if it, what, what the intention was, was it to drive people into that series? Maybe it was, but you're also hampering like a whole bunch of businesses came up. I've been started up this year to try and 
you know, help people on Road to Pro. And, you know, that was really taking some people's revenue away um, if it had gone fi uh, fixed racing for some of these setup shops. Um, and obviously, we said we had a, there's an actual setup shop as a sponsor. So that would be even more detrimental to that sponsorship, possibly. And there's a segment of the population that sees setup shops as, as an evil almost. And for those guys, I'd like them to just go go set up as their soundtrack, the old Soviet national anthem. All right, I got this one, David. Uh, we got details from Greg West on the Indy uh, coming back. And so I'm going to break this down. First of all, Greg West says, uh, as far as the Indy 500, they're going to run both the open and fixed setup version of the Indy 500 uh, concurrently during the week of May 27th through June 2nd. However, once again, uh, they will run them separate weeks in 2025. Uh, I think we did that before IndyCar left where we had uh, fixed on one week, open the next, um, so people could uh, participate in both easily, but they won't be doing that this year. Um, the other one is they're gonna bring back the year-long IndyCar iRacing Tour that was formerly known as the IndyCar iRacing Series. So they're gonna have a NIS-style IndyCar, um, they're going to feature full length races with the exception of the Indy 500 week. That race will be shortened for the events happening within the series. So as not to have competition with the Indy 500 itself. Um, then there's the actual IndyCar series or the open series, as a lot of people call it. Um, they're not mandating any changes to that. Uh, you can go and vote for real world tracks again, like we have in the past. Um, those sessions will remain at right under one hour. They're also gonna be adding a supplemental series to the open. Uh, they're gonna have IndyCar series fixed. This will be a B level and run the same schedule as the open variant. These are gonna be uh, a sprint variety, similar to that being used with a super, super formula. They won't overlap with open. And then lastly, the C level series will also move to the B class and be re renamed IndyCar Oval, with this edition of fixed setup series that follows the open series, we're going to make sure that we that those wanting that open wheel experience have a dedicated home. The series will run 12 weeks of ovals moving forward and may use any oval available. Definitely a good ball. Uh, and good then one more note, Greg, was the new fixed series will be a pure sprint. It's about 15 minute in lengths, no pit stops. Um, and so that one sounds attractive to me, actually. No tire strategy and anything then either. Just run the car, you know. So it's pretty cool that iRacing is uh, increasing the the options, you know, for members to run the car. Um, you know, now we have open and fixed. You've got the NIS style racing, uh, and you have a, a brand new short sprint race. So take your pick, guys. I wonder if they're trying to attract some of those lost customers that might have actually purchased the video game and kind of, you know, bring them, bring them this way kind of thing too. maybe, you know, move them over to a PC or whatever. I mean, a lot of it was console based thinking that they were going to get an IndyCar game, but maybe just try and see where they can capitalize on by having more and more offered for it. Yeah, there's plenty of opportunities if you want to run IndyCar. So, uh, David, the links are kind of mixed up uh, between this one and the next one. But uh, the link there was a, a forum post you put up 
about AI and how to despawn. What is despawn? Oh, okay. Well, we've started playing with the AI racing. Uh, this this will be pretty quick if it's a totally different topic because I just responded to the reply I got to it. Um, I learned how AI racing and hosted works essentially because we did a practice the other day where we threw in just a gluttony of G, of LMP or no GTPs and GT3s. We're assuming we're probably not going to see LMP2s in our in our split if we even get to see G, GT3s, right? And, and our GT3 guys are probably not going to see LMP2s in their split either, based on where our I ratings are and what I've been seeing in the IMSA races. Um, but anyway, we had a server on there, and I was like, well, how many guys are coming, and how many AI should I put in? Um, and so I asked, it, how do you determine, if, like, can you make it where, how can you make it where you don't have too many AI that somebody can't get in? And uh, somebody said, no, once the AI are in there, they take up the, the, the slots. You can't put any more people in. But here's what we also discovered, and I think Brad noticed this. If the creator of the race with the AI hosting is not in the race, you the, scared AI, everybody. the AI disappear. Right. So we didn't finish the race. We were mostly just trying to get through going through traffic a couple of times. Um, and as ever, and also we had the skill level way too high because I had no idea where to put the skill level. And they, we were all running in like last place and getting our, getting doored by every AI that came up to us because they're two seconds faster than us. Um, so we didn't finish the race. It just kind of became almost not fun at a point. But the answer is because I'm in control of uh, the AI drivers are based on the person who created the race. When I join, it asks me how many I racers I want to join. So what I can do, I can join the race and only put like say 20 or 30 on there to have enough slots for, for people to join the race. And if, if they, if it gets too close where it's almost full, I can I can leave and come right back in with less AI. So that's how you do it. You have to manually despawn the AI. That's what I discovered. Uh, from from in fact, let me go ahead and thank the member. I still have that posted. It was Robert Barris in, uh, who answered the reply to my question on the post. I think the other thing we learned during that race, David, was. There's a pretty fatal flaw with AI on road courses where if you're up side by side with them, they won't give you room. They'll just door you to the wall. <laughs> well, yeah, I once I fixed the skill level, that hasn't been as bad. No, I think it was that they, they were, I had it on 90% as the top and that's was just too high. I had no idea. I was just guessing. I, and, and, um, I think that it was just almost that they were, they were too good and then expecting you were expecting you to be able to be that precise as well. So, um, cause even on the lower skill levels, they can drive in really deep and not lose control. So there's sometimes, even if I'm getting is about the same pace as them, if there's a certain place where I have to check up because I'm waiting on a, a GT car or something, they'll drive it in deep and be able to turn it, but they work weren't knocking me into the wall like they were in that first race. Are they that good or are we just that bad? Well, it the says realistic. Yeah, the times were pretty unrealistic. It says, and, and I guess I should have actually read the, the things because 90% it said alien. And um, yeah, we're not aliens. So right now for me, it seems like I can run about the same speed as the leader if I have the top percent at 45%. 
I don't know. I got into that server and I think it was me and one other person. And then you came in and you're like, who's in there? And I'm like, uh, it's just me and him. And then as soon as you joined, it was like 40 other cars just showed up. I just think it was funny when you left and everybody was gone. But we know how to control that now. So um, I mentioned it in the server or in the chat right before we started to see if y'all want to just throw together another one real quick tonight and not do a lot of practice, but just just run part of a race and see how it goes afterwards. All right. And so the on the script, it's the, it looked like the same thing. So what we have next, it's too bad that Chris is not around because this would be something up, up his alley. Right. Uh, but Mike, you usually follow these sim expos a lot, right? Well, first of all, let's talk the patch. We have a season one patch three release notes. We talked about some of those already. I, the other one I want to throw out that we haven't talked about is they've added a slowdown at Daytona. If you put more than half the car onto the apron on on the oval, uh, they use the two yellow lines, the one on the right. If you get more than half the car over that line to the right, that'll uh, trigger a slowdown. Um, so this will definitely fix the, the apron riding, I think. Well, the question hope, is where? Is it all the way around the track? And can they include this during uh, during oval races to take care of the double yellow line rule? Slow down at an oval? Wow, that'll be something. Well, and, and that's actually what you... if You're supposed to give the position back if you gain a position going under the line in real, in real life. And what they tell you in iRacing is you can't you're allowed to go down there but you have to safely rejoin so essentially what you do if you're the guy on the that's on the double yellow line and they go below you you have to hold hold it and let them wreck you so you can protest them basically god if you had a slowdown because you got down there you'd lose the draft and that would be it for your race well that'd keep yeah, you people from going down there for sure the only other one that caught my eye was they added the indy 500 tire branding uh, when you run at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, they, you know, on the uh, sidewall of the tire, the Firestone tire, you got the logo. Uh, that's pretty cool. Just, I like the little touches. There is a pretty good note there that specifically applies to the Daytona 24 in that the time required for GT3 and GTP cars to repair fully damaged wheels has been significantly reduced. Yeah, it was seemed like again it's a lot of damage model fixing uh, across the board. Um, a lot of graphic stuff as well. So, you know, nothing big surprising. As we mentioned earlier, they did fix the, uh, you know, the incredible physics of the uh, the late model that if you could throw it in reverse and blow the motor, dump the clutch, and drive 300 miles an hour. And I should have tried that before they fixed it. Darn it! All right, now moving to Sim Formula Europe is a sim racing expo that's literally going on as we speak i have never heard of this until this week uh, but it's another uh sim racing expo and it's four days uh, first day is just for you know, manufacturers and insiders and the next three days were open to the public it's i think it was free admission and it's in the netherlands at uh maastricht so I was looking at the website. I mean, there are some great manufacturers there. What do we have to do to get something like this in the U.S. or at least North America? Amen to that. I, I, you know, if these people would come to the U.S., we've got to organize, you know, a gathering, a meeting of the iRacers Lounge listeners and, and uh, guests and 
go to one of these things. I I can't. It, it would be like going to Disneyland, man. I feel well, like. Oh, go, ahead. go ahead. Well, uh, I, I was going to say. I mean. Almost all these brands have a U.S. or North American distributor, so it's not like Q Controls has to come over here. You know, they've got distributors that could go to these things. That's what just blows my mind that they can't. We can't seem to get something like this together. Is it the cost of maybe actually having a facility to take it on? Because I feel like any event that goes on in the United States or even here in Canada, we charge ridiculous costs just to rent the place to do it. Well, it depends on what city you're in. Yeah, that also depends on what city and state you're in. Um, if you don't have to go too big, there are really nice convention centers in the Midwest. St. Louis, Memphis, Little Rock actually have convention centers that you're not going to pay the same thing you pay in New York City. Correct. And, and where a convention makes its money is the people that want to display their products have to pay a fee to do it. And if you need to charge admission, you charge admission. I mean, who here wouldn't pay 10 bucks to go in? Um, I'd probably pay more than that just to be able to get your hands on some of this stuff and actually touch it. I feel like any of these events, though, if they are actually going to have to go on for like be having the European contingent with it, would have to be on any of the outer states. So you'd have like a Florida, California, things like that would be where they would have to go on. They got seminars. They got you know booths. They got um, actual racing going on. They got a land race going on. Some kind of championship thing. A hot lap challenge, lots of cool stuff. It looks like fun. All right. Real quick on the events, and we're running long, so we're going to blitz through these. Uh, the Roar Before the 24, that's well, You like, missed one again. Daggummit, I keep skipping. Oh, yeah, Coke Series. Um, I read it, and I th process it, and then I, I'm, I'm always looking ahead. I, so you know, if you've ever heard the other guys talk about producing and multitasking and uh, this is why i'm an amateur um anyways so coke schedule lots of takeaways according to evan pasoko's tweet in that daytona atlanta talladega and chicago are fixed setups and they're going to bring in heat races at iowa and chicago and they're going to return to they're going to have the live audience finale as well First thought is fixed setups at plate tracks. Okay. And it might be interesting if they actually played with the fixed setups to make the package a little bit better in that particular case. Yeah. Brand Hatch is also. Yeah. Brand Hatch is on the schedule, guys. Now, is that a clue or what? Look, if Brand Hatch is on the Coke series, this is a clue that NASCAR is going to Brand Hatch. Well, at some point, they'll go over into Europe. That's the thing. They want to go over there, right? There's a reason it's on the Coke series. <laughs> uh, what about heat racing? I mean, I mean, NASCAR doesn't do heat racing, really, uh, in the NASCAR Cup series. So why is this appropriate in the Coke series? Is this uh, also a preview of something new coming to NASCAR? Why the road courses, though, too? Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's anything coming to NASCAR. I think it's just a way to try to make the events a little, maybe more, a little more interesting. Um, you know, I think we've kind of talked oh. before. I'd like to see them get back to longer races. To be honest with you, is it because I do too. They, they they put it on two of the road courses, so obviously it's like having a caution in the middle, basically, kind of like instead of using that caution system that we use, David, it's kind of just a, an easy way to get bunch the field back up. Yeah, and. Um, 
also don't forget that we're no longer in a place where sim racing only copies real life. We're now in a place where real life is taking ideas from sim racing. They build the tracks on iRacing basically now. Okay. So they could be trying it out in the Coke series to see if they want to do it in NASCAR. So take note of the graphic guys. It's grouped into different four different groups, and those are called season stages. So we have uh, three season stages, and followed by the traditional four race playoff. These season stages, the winner will receive a three thousand dollar bonus and five additional bonus points for the playoff. Uh, as in the past, ten drivers qualify for the playoffs by either winning a race or scoring the most points in the regular season. So I like this, uh, this, you know, race within the season, you know, or these uh, stages uh, for those bonus points. Those are going to be huge at going into the playoffs if you can win uh, one of these season stages. Now, I think wh- I, why I like this and why it's so clever is that Coke driver who wins early, and we've always talked about, well, he's in the playoffs and now he can just coast and prepare for the playoffs you know he doesn't have to really do anything well now he's got incentive to actually keep winning and keep doing well to try to go for those bonus points so it's almost their version of of stage points right which is designed to encourage the the real cup drivers to keep pushing yeah it's cool i like it uh the other thing noticed i the clash uh exhibition race is actually at Daytona International Speedway. No Coliseum, guys. Where it should be. Thank God. Yep. I'm kind of surprised NASCAR agreed with that. Like, you'd think NASCAR would want them to be at the Coliseum for cross-promotion and so forth. All right. Um, it is the Roar next, right? I'm not skipping any topics. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So real quick, we've got the roar coming up, which is this weekend. And that is the LMP three car, the GT four and the touring class cars. Um, Usual start times, but this does have the bonus start time that we talked about last week, which is on effectively on a Saturday night for us. Right. Or is it a Sunday night? Nope. Sunday, 7 p.m. Sunday night. Yeah. Okay. That's the only one I might have a shot at running because I got uh gig saturday morning and then the big event the daytona 24 uh we've talked enough about that that we don't have to go into the details but i know we've got our three teams ready we've been doing some practice we got some new guys that it's going to be their first experience and they're really nervous and my first race my literal goal was don't be the guy to spin it and everybody was just in my ear the whole time saying don't care about your lap time don't care about your lap time don't care about your lap time and that's the truth especially for your first experience just get it done and do not let perfect be the enemy of good that's what i've tried to tell the guys that are on my team i'm listening the other gotcha gotcha that'll get you is cold tires i need somebody in my ear screaming cold tires cold tires cold tires the first two laps practice 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 yeah well what i've learned in in my practice and in my races is i actually rotate the brake bias forward to two percent every time i pit and turn my crack traction control up until for two laps and then I put it back to where what I can get away with after the tires have warmed up. 
So that's one of the things you can do. That's why we have these formula wheels with all those switches. Pop, 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 pop. I'm less likely to spin out on, after coming out of the pits on the, on those cold tires and heavy gas. Because not only do you have cold tires, your car weighs almost twice as much with all the fuel in it. Podcast housekeeping, leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform to make it easier for more listeners to find us. Mention the podcast to your fellow drivers so they don't miss out. We do appreciate it. Don't forget to check out our Discord. If you were in Discord, you got inside information this week from Drew Adamson from staff. So guys, get in there and join the conversation. Get on the website, iracerslounge.com and get your merchandise. I'm wearing a hat. Uh, you can get on our website at iracerslounge.shop. We are in regular rotation at the Performance Motorsports Network. Team Conti Sim Performance, connecting oval sim racers with some of the best to have competed at the highest level of eNASCAR competition. From our wide variety of setup offerings to our coaching services that help racers reach their fullest potential, TCSP is data-driven, people-focused, and ready to help you fight to the top of the iRacing Oval Ladder. Check us out at www.teamconti.gg. All right, I'm going to jump around on the or little mic because I know we're not going to get to all these today, and I think we really need to hit the uh, the the um, monster in the house first. Uh, so let's jump straight down to the Fanatec list. Yeah, this is probably <laughs> the big story list. of the week. All right, so it kicks off with a video called Customer Service Hell Part 3. And this is Danny Moffat talking about customer support issues he's had um, with them. And I did watch these, and, and now I've got them all mixed up. So somebody help me re refresh my memory on the first one. Um, Danny Moffat is a gentleman who had bought a DD2 base or DD1 base, I think it was, had a problem with it, sent it back, got a new one, and had the same exact problem or same problem with that one. So he was, I mean, he was trying to do a review on it. He couldn't do anything. The, the poor guy was so sad in this video. I felt sorry for him. But, um, but yeah, he, I mean, he keeps having problems with these, uh, direct drive bases. Um, and it, it happens when, um, he, he started the program up and it was okay, but as soon as he attached the wheel, it would say that it, no wheel was found and it would just keep saying that over and over. And so there's a little bit more of a specific to it now that you were that you sparked my memory. This one worked with the regular wheel that doesn't require the hub. Okay, what happens though is that Fanatec put out a batch of DD1s that don't work with the hub. And so that's what's happening. He had he had a regular wheel. He tested fine. Once he tried to put a wheel on with the hub, it stopped working. Fanatec says, "Okay, you're going to have to send it back, and we're going to have to repair that." And you know, it takes. Uh, uh, we'll get into more of the other details of dealing with them afterwards, but that's what happened. And really, at this point, they should be sending him. I mean, I guess it doesn't matter because it doesn't work. But they should be sending him another one instead of making him get that one fixed. I'll take the next one. This guy lives in Macau near Hong Kong. 
So he bought it from a supplier and not directly from Fanatec. Well, now Fanatec will not honor the warranty because of that, because they didn't buy it. He didn't buy it direct, direct from them. Um, he also indicated that they should recall the new plastic QR. He claims it's defective and there should be a recall where they replace it with the metal one. Like he's ready to like sue them in open court over it kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, he he's a lawyer, so <laughs> I think he knows his probably way around stuff like that. So, so well, he'll lose he'll lose on the warranty because he didn't they they um he bought it from a third party and that's in in their eyes it's probably it probably did it in China, which doesn't follow the right business rules anyway. Um and they in fact, I think he's pretty sure he talked about his China suppliers. Well, Fanatec does not re, does not license or give those China suppliers permission to resell their products, so they're under no obligation, and it's in their in their warranty. Uh, you got to buy from them, and and it's not one of us knew that because that that's their direct customer. They don't want other vendors, and um, that is probably a problem. But it's in the document, so he loses on that. He's just wrong there. The defective product, though, he's right. This next poor sap, he bought a package. It was a base, a formula wheel, and a rally wheel. He got everything but the actual wheelbase. Uh, he ordered it in like September, I think, and he still doesn't have the base. He's got two rims, but no base. So he literally can't race. He found out recently that Sony has yet to grant the licensing to Fanatec, and that is why those bases are not shipping out. Like uh, they literally don't have the licensing in place for the Sony PlayStation stuff, and uh, that's holding up shipments. That's then be, we have an article <laughs> from PC Gamer that also uh, talks about this. PC Gamer uh, put out an article detailing uh, Fanatec's um, problems with Sony and how uh, they're missing shipments because of it. That's got to be like. Uh a contract breach by like you can't pre-order something that doesn't have a signed agreement like that's that's a dishonorable business practice well it's they pretty should clear never sold those right or pre-order yeah, without, without actually knowing that you're going to do that that's like us uh all paying full price for that indie car game for motorsports before it even was finished we should rename them to fanatech sports gaming because this is an MSG level stupidity. Okay, let me keep going. I hope you have circus music playing behind me here. So the next one is, today I received an apology email from Fanatec customer support. I'm assuming many others got this as well. Once again, they're blaming their slow response to times to system and process issues. Instead of just admitting they have subpar customer service and it needs a major overhaul. I don't know about you, but I don't feel like this is the best way to address the situation and Fanatec customers to do better in my opinion. Now, what happened on this video is this guy, he hasn't actually bought anything from Fanatec. He actually emailed them back in the summer about doing a, a mutual business opportunity. And so he got what, what, what he believes is a blanket email that was literally sent to all customers or anyone who's dealt with Fanatec in recent year. And it basically says, if you're waiting for any kind of customer service response for on any item, reply to this email now. Like it talked about like there's, well, reading between the lines, it sounds like their, their customer service system 
has failed or something and they don't have the information to reply to everyone who has outstanding issues so they're trying to just like reset the, the slate and get everyone who has a problem just to reply to the email so they they know what they need that they need to work on is what it sounds like also sounds like that if uh you don't reply to that email they're just going to ignore you and just forget about you you know so it's it might be a way for them to clear their cache of of problems Mike, here's a question. You work in uh, customer service with uh, dealing with calls, don't you? Verizon, yes. So how many calls can you take or emails can you read in a day? I do about 35 to 40 customers a day. Okay. So say that some of these are easy, simple emails to read or things to do. If they have one or two people doing it, this company is not that big where they should be like sim racing is not a Verizon technology company where they'd be behind um, for producing. Like, I couldn't see that they could be this far behind in their customer service. It seems like it's like an excuse where they just, they're trying to fix a problem now because it's become such a big problem. But how many Fanatex wheels do you think they sell in a day? You're right. There's not a huge amount of volume, and you think that they could solve this. Now, the final video was random call sign. He had a little bit more uh, information. He actually interviewed the CEO, uh, Tom, I think his name is, back at the Sim Racing Expo in October, and he had he had been told then that they had changed warehouses, and that that's when the issues had started, and it has snowballed since then. Now, he went on to say in the video, he doesn't think that a company like this can recover their reputation for the coming years after what has happened here. Um, now, look, this is just a sampling. Uh, these five videos, these five stories is a sampling of what I saw on YouTube just in one week. Now, because I've been fed these videos, I think the algorithm is now showing me all the Fanatec customer service horror stories. And so they just been popping up in my feed. And so I put them on the script so we could detail. This is not an isolated issue. They have serious, serious problems. And as most of these posters have said, we do not recommend buying from Fanatec at this point. Well, that was my conclusion from all this. I mean, you'd have to be borderline brain dead to order anything from this company, in my opinion. I'm just glad I, I ordered the shifter back in July, you know, when I was rebuilding everything. That's the only thing I got from Fanatec. I'm just glad I'm done with them. The worst part is, is if you're someone trying to get either your, 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 your systems down and you've been waiting on it, that's like, and you have no backup rim or anything like that. Like, I hope to, when I upgrade that I have my setup now, I can use as a, as a backup someday. I hope I'm not upgrading because of something dying on it but i'm obviously not going to use fanatec again but it would be nice to have a backup just in case this happens with any of your products to always have a backup but some people just don't have this that amount or they sell it afterwards because they want to try and make money up to to pay for the thing that they just bought so it's unacceptable to be not responding to any of your emails within a couple of days and as a customer service and and figuring out the problem and to for something new you purchased sending it back for repair is unacceptable as well. It should have been any of those things that they should have placement products should have been sent out and um, 
product should be sent back. Well, I've, I've said before, I mean, I had a CSW back in 14 and twice I had to send it in for repair. And even back in 14 and 15, it was a disaster then. Um, just any sort of correspondence with them takes forever. Um, you know, and like I said, that's why when I got back into December racing and decided to build the rig, I, I, outside of the shifter, I was like, there's no way I'm touching them. That's just what it is. So my sim coach's pedals. I've said this before, so I'll try to make it quick. Um, had an issue with, with brake fluid leaking. They sent me a replacement uh, while I kept those brakes. He taught me how to bleed it, and it t- temporarily fixed it, but it was it would continue to leak. He taught me how to fix it, uh, but I got to wait on the pedals and not send the other ones back until they came in. That's the way it should be done. Uh, there's companies out there that, that prove over and over again how to handle customer service and unfortunately Fanatec is not one of them I think part of it is they're in Germany and all the product is literally coming out of China though and so their warehousing is in China customer service is in Germany and that's got to be part of the problem and they distribute from California and the states right so a lot of moving parts and you know it sounds like the original chinese warehouse might be the place where the ball's dropping but who knows let's jump into results and talk racing we actually had a listener email uh, was very uh, enheartening uh, this week that said his favorite part of the show is results, and uh, we love hearing that. Um, so let's go over it. Uh, the Winter Series League, John, you had a P0. Yeah, I, I had a, a meeting with some clients and uh, didn't make it to the race. I did watch you guys a little bit. It was fun to watch, but man, I was disappointed. I missed the race. All right, Brad, P25. Uh, yeah, kind of frustrated with last night. So I uh, started P12, you know, I had a pretty good pace. Uh, I feel like I caught up with an accident, not of my own doing. Somebody got turned on the front stretch and literally just thrilled me and, and tore up the right front, uh, broke something in the right front. Uh, car was never really good after that. Um, it had about three minutes of damage and just couldn't get it, you know, try to get it fixed under cautions. And it just was, I probably should have just stayed in there and gotten it all fixed. Uh, ended up looping it late, uh, pounded the inside wall, about five minutes of damage. I was just more frustrated than anything else. Yeah, Justin was a P24, really not much to say. I was running mid-pack most of the race and a lap car got into me and I was done. David, P13. I think, or Greg, were you P13 or P12? Uh, 13 and you were 14. And I was 14. I couldn't remember which one it was, but I know I finished right behind you. Uh, I don't think I was going to catch you, but I got drastically separated by, by you from one of those same guys who thinks it's smart to race and hold somebody down for five laps and cost you three minutes. And funny enough, he lost three more positions in just the last few laps that he wouldn't have lost if, if he had tucked in behind. Because he cost himself two minutes, not just me. But yeah, P13 or P14, um, we had an almost coin flip situation that didn't really turn out to be a coin flip because the guys who stayed out when we pitted were still stupid fast anyway. And so it, it all seemed to kind of even out. Um, not enough tire so, fall off. Yeah, so it ended up it ended up being a, a, a standard middle pack run, and uh, you stole the double prize from me this time because you, you you intentionally let Chandler pass you so you could get that lucky dog. <laughs> I wish I could even 
take credit for that, but I <laughs> there's no one catching Chandler. Chandler's unbelievable in that series, and he's just it's just not fair sometimes. But uh, yeah, I'm I finished P uh, 13 there, and um, I leapfrogged you on pit road because I pitted I think five laps before you did, or a little bit more than that. I'm not sure. Um, me, you, and Mike were running nose to tail. I was at probably 13th, 14th, 15th there um, before the pit stops. And I felt like I had to do something different because I was in your tire tracks and it just, I kept losing grip more and more the longer we went. I just couldn't do anything extra to get closer to you. And every time I did, I would slip up off the corner. So I was like, I'll pit, see if I can gain some. And I gained, I think it was a second on you coming out. And then you got held up because of that one guy and same guy that I had to get past and he wasn't uh, very fun to try and get around and he doored you. Yes, he did. Um, I, I still don't understand it. I'll never understand it. But when you run somebody down and then they drive you so hard into the corner or whatever, it just it's never going to get changed. But uh, yeah, it was a good race. Yeah. Um, I learned some more on the second run there with some brake bias changes. I got the car turning a lot better. I just wish uh, it was a little bit faster, but those it really shows us how good some of these racers are that we race against in iRacing. Well, that top 10, they're all 4K to 7K iRating guys. Um, yeah, and it, I'm, I'm not saying don't race. I'm saying don't race when it hurts yourself. Down P17, I ended up spinning on the first and bringing out the first caution that we've had in like four or five races actually. So I was a little embarrassed to bring out that caution all by myself. But um, I pitted at that time, even though it would only been a few laps, got new tires and got off sequence with the leaders. I ended up staying out when everyone else didn't. And uh, I was up front again, uh, near the front for quite a bit of the race. Uh, I was as high as P2 uh, during green flag stops. Um, I eventually settled into P17 and got what I deserved. Now, I never checked. Have we had more cautions in this race than we have had all season? And I think, oh, Mike yeah, was, I think there was five or six. Were you, you were, were you the first caution, Mike, or the second one? No, I was for number one, but then we had a bunch in a row right after that. Yeah, you were the first caution in the last, what, five races we've had. That's what the, the streak you broke. Yeah, I, I just didn't have the feel in the steering, and the steering felt so freaking light on this fixed set. I kept looking at my stuff. To, is everything turned on? But yeah, it was. If there was only something that happens before a race that you could practice it, to figure out your settings. If there's only some something that goes on 50 minutes before the race. All right, so let's jump into other racing. <laughs> Look, we don't have Bobby's results, but I want to mention them. He's running for a championship in Division 5 C Open, or maybe C Fixed. And he is uh, second in points. And so uh, go get him, Bobby. I think he had a top five uh, this week. Uh, let's talk about Justin's race for his championship, Winter NIF. A solid week, open series, he ran two races, a P5 and a P9. Fixed series, I ran two races also and came up with a P15 and a P1. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. So with those races in the open series, it put me P1 in points with a 30-point lead. Then the fixed series, this puts me tied for P1 in points. North Wilkesboro is going to be tough this week. Short tracks are my weak point. Wish me luck. 
Let's keep moving. I ran Friday open. Why? I was trying to support Justin. I just wanted to be there for moral support, talk him through uh, his nerves, you know, and, and try to help him with this championship. I got a P25. It was top split. I was running at highest top five for a while, but then I actually ran into the back of a guy who just kind of stopped in the corner. I, I couldn't even miss him. Uh, I had damage and the car was never the same since. Uh, I ended up spinning later twice on my own. Moving on to other racing I did this week, Draftmasters. Trying to get some wins, guys. It didn't work. 87s at Daytona, I got wrecked, P18. Then I was running fifth and got wrecked from a guy on the outside who creamed the wall and took me out, finished P23. Then wrecked out on the third attempt. Then wrecked out on the fourth attempt. Yikes. Then I ran FIA F4 at Scuba, uh, qualified 10th, finished fourth. Wow, great race. Really proud of that, actually, at uh, my road racing. Uh, don't have the speed of the fast guys, but I can keep it on track and I have good racecraft. Uh, ran the Draftmaster Gen 4 at Daytona when the week switched and got dumped on lap six, finished P16. I've lost five or 600 I rating guys. I, I have to, and so basically I've stopped oval racing at this point. Um, I don't want to kill my division placement going into Daytona. So I'm done racing until Daytona. Brad, you got the GT Sprint VRS. Yep. So uh, ran one of these uh, last week, just kind of doing a little bit of prep work for Daytona. Um, ran the Ferrari, so had good pace, uh, got it up to the top 10. I uh, hadn't ran the series in quite a while and screwed up when I had to do a pit stop and took too much fuel, so lost quite a bit of time uh, on pit road. I know I gave up at least uh, two to three spots with that error, but I uh, had a really good time, uh, again, just trying to prep, getting ready for, uh, for the, for the uh, 24 hours. All right, John, Draftmaster P8. Yeah, you know, Draftmaster, it's like the horse running into the fire. You just can't stay away. I got a P8. Uh, good clean race uh, with the Gen 4, except for the 563 wrecks. I avoided all of them, uh, but, you know, you got to slow down for those wrecks, and once you do that, you can't catch up. So, P8, hey, I, I no X, so I'm happy with it. You're right, because there's no yellows, if you slow down at all, you, you've given up your chance to win the race. And so what you, I'm finding is people aren't slowing down for the wrecks because they don't want to give up that chance because there's a chance I can drive through it, right? Well, that's exactly right. I mean, it, it's, you know, you can, you can keep your foot on the pedal and hope you make it through to keep up with the front. On the other hand, if you don't slow down, you're going to get taken out. So what do you do? It's a, it's a coin toss. Yeah, with them being short 20 lap races, I'm, I'm the kind that's going to hold the gas down and arc a break it in there. It's just the style of racing, you know, because of it, the short, you know, no yellow thing. Yeah, and it's an IR killer. It is. I mean, I have fun. I, I want those wins, but man, I got to look at my NIS season coming up. I can't, you know, jeopardize that. And that's what I'm doing. So I got to stop. We need IR per car. <laughs> That's what we need. Uh, a open. We have new teammate Brian Curry, who just recently joined us. He ran Atlanta, qualified fourth, jumped out to the lead early, led the first 10 laps, but quickly learned I was pushing too hard, settled in and rode in fourth until pit stops, did a better job managing tires from that point. P2. Brian is a hot shoe. Uh, we're going to find out. He's, he wins a lot of races. Nice run. 
Uh, John, you have it a P13. Yeah, B open at Michigan, and I am pissed about this one. So I was running fifth, moving up fast, and some jerk got in a wreck coming off of two with three other cars way down on the apron on the back stretch and drove straight up into the track and hit me three times. So, you know, uh, and this was in the last 15 laps when this happened, totally ruined my race. Uh, I could have won that one, but you know, this guy just, I guess he was mad. You know, he got in a wreck and came up, took me out. I had nothing to do with the wreck. You know, what can I say? P13. And then C open P6. Yeah, this was a good truck race. We had we had a lot of fun in this one. I was in mix the whole race. Good close racing um, all the way. The top ten drivers did a great job. You know, with about ten to go, uh, the top six we pulled away from everybody, and it was a dogfight. Good race, probably the cleanest race I've ever had in a C open uh, that I've had in at least in a long time. So it was a lot of fun. Good setup. P six was great. That sounds like a good one. IMSA, Brad, P4. Yep, so uh, ran uh, IMSA at Watkins Glen uh, night before last, maybe. I don't remember what night it was. Uh, started uh, P12, uh, ended up with a top four, uh, P4. So uh, it's typical with Watkins Glen, kind of had to survive the uh, those first, first lap heroes that decided to uh, destroy a bunch of stuff. Um, had good pace. P6 was quicker. Uh, we ended up stopping for fuel, and I, I stayed, was able to maintain uh, my pace ahead of him. Um, but it was kind of a yo-yo back and forth between the two of us. Uh, really, all kind of depended on how traffic uh, caught us. You know, you're running GT3s. Um, you know, you got GTPs that are coming. And um, you know, one thing I really learned was just trying to do my best to make it easy for them to get around me to where I would not lose uh, time. Um, so as odd as that may sound, trying to set myself up to where, to make it easy for them to go around me to where I wouldn't lose time, because that's what I was noticing. Um, you know, if, if I was where I got caught, um, you know, he, he, he closed back up and then we just kind of watched it go back and forth. But um, again, just continuing trying to just to work on uh, getting some practice in, getting ahead of the 24 uh, hours. But, uh, you know, a really good race. It was fun. All right, well done. Let's jump to final thoughts. David Hall. It was fun playing around with that AI stuff. I was going to talk about that now, but I'm, I'm glad it got caught up. Uh, we got our schedule kind of sort of set up, uh, but I think I'm going to have to flip-flop it around a little bit because I'm not going to be able to start it with, with the schedule coming out. Uh, but I just I hope we finish it. That's, kind of, that's the main goal this year, just get through it and finish where we're supposed to finish. All right, Greg Hectus, final thought. Uh, I wasn't on last week to share my upgrades, so I've upgraded to four monitors now on my sim racing rig, which I'm pretty excited for. I kind of got some stuff that dialed in last night with uh, David helping me out with JRT. <coughs> JRT. Um, and uh, I'm actually really enjoying it. I have to do some more fin finicking around with it, but we'll play with it over the next couple weeks here, doing some road racing and oval racing. I'll get it right. Um, also, that uh, that email we got from the uh, listener, um, I, I haven't run this by David yet, but I'm hoping at some point, maybe, maybe someone else on the team, we can set up a... He was asking about a, going over what to prepare for for the Indy 500. I'm wondering if he can set up an AI thing and uh, maybe create a video between David and I and uh, put it out uh, on YouTube or something together to show what 
things to look for in the Indy 500 and how to prepare for it and what to do during the race. Um, what we do as drivers thinking in the race to uh, do adjustments and stuff like that. And learning how to use the weight jacker is one of the biggies for the open set. Uh, I don't know if AI really helps in that world. Uh, run as many official races as you can the week before in the A, a series is the, the number one tip. Just gain experience in race conditions. Well, and I was thinking that the AI would show you that when you're running behind them, what you have to do with the weight jacket, that would be the AI part of it. Mm -hmm. All right, Brian McCubbin, final thoughts. Uh, so I got the uh, Sim Magic uh, shifter, H pattern and sequential shifter setup. Um, really happy with it. It's got a good feel to it. Um, the, the the shaft feels like it's got a longer throw to it when you're shifting gears, and I, I, I like that. Um, I like the pull up handle to get into reverse. Uh, that that works pretty well in my uh, for my situation. Um, I like that. Uh, switch it to sequential, and uh, everything works flawlessly. Plug and play really simple um yeah and i finally get to get rid of that uh that fan attack that i couldn't ever switch because it would stop working if, if i went from h pattern to sequential or back and forth so um so yeah i i, I would give it my recommendation it's a, it's a good product right now you got a new doorstop too the fan attack shifter <laughs> yes sir <laughs> all right brad wren final thought uh yeah so uh prepping for the roar uh looking forward to that i think i'm going to run that saturday morning uh the 7 a.m run so um got my button box finally uh came in got it mounted uh spent a couple spent uh some time the other night get everything labeled so happy with that uh the wife let me go ahead and pick up a larger fourth monitor so that got put up last night and uh i'm gonna go ahead and i think tweak my monitors a little bit i'm not really happy with with my uh my, my gaps i've got so i'm gonna play with that and then since i've put all this other stuff on there i'm gonna have to yank all of my cables away and i'm gonna redo all my cabling this weekend since i think i've got everything on here i want so i should be good to go i'm looking forward to do a little bit of cleanup um as crazy as that sounds I, I like things to be nice and neat so uh i'm excited about cleaning up the cables and um again just excited for uh for the 24 hours and uh another week and a half or whatever two weeks one week whatever it is and uh yeah, just looking forward to having some fun. So you got the ignition controls box. Is there any regrets? Absolutely not. Um, I, I'm a little worried. So I I ordered a amount from off of Etsy, and in, in my impatience, I talking to you, you said what you did, and I started digging through my extra stuff, and I ended up figuring out a way to mount it. Um, so I, I think that the Etsy mount will, will fit up a little bit better. I'm just a little concerned that it's not going to be strong enough because this thing is heavy. It's solid metal. Um, so, but we'll see. That's supposed to show up tomorrow. I've got a little bit of time to play with it. But yeah, the button box, dude, is it's great. It is absolutely what I wanted. It's not 3D printed. We'll just say that. <laughs> All right. John Curley, uh, final thought. Yeah, so uh, going to put in uh, a new video card in the computer this weekend and get those triple monitors up and running. I'm excited for that to see what that's like and then getting ready for that 24 hours Daytona so I can learn how to keep it on the track and give my give my teammates a good car. So I'm going to be working on that the next week and a week or so. And then Bobby jokingly said, Greg's leaving because Greg put up his Oculus Rift for sale. I mean, I, Greg has literally given up the VR for the triples. So go get him, Greg. Uh, my final thoughts, uh, man, it kind of sucks that I 
can't race what I want to race because of I rating. But that's the position I'm in because we set the divisions for NIS at Daytona 500 in a, a few weeks from now. And I don't want to be in a division three. I want to be in division two. So if I keep racing draft masters, I'm going to be in division three. So I'm at a point where I literally can't race what I want. So I want iRacing to look at the iRating thing again. By run car. C series, run, like, run the Xfinity series or something like that. Yeah. You know, I, I choke on those just, I, I'm, I actually have a better chance of doing well in Draftmaster than I do in B and C, to be honest. But, uh, but that's the position, but it just gives me opportunity to prepare for the 24, uh, keep running my FIA F4. Um, I, I, I'm loving that car. Um, it's not too much for me. And uh, looking forward to that new IndyCar Sprint Series. I'm going to be all over that. So with that, hey, we'll see you on the track. Later. Thank you for listening to the iRacers Lounge podcast. Make sure you go to subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play, Facebook, and Twitter. See you on the track.